I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, I am very excited about this episode because I think it's interesting sometimes the way we decide to challenge ourselves without knowing that's what we're doing. I think it's no secret that I am pretty like women forward and I know that gender is a drag and gender is a construct, but I think something I'm trying to work out for myself is some of the societal conditioning that I'm still unraveling on my experience walking through this world as a woman. So I have been pretty busy unpacking my own experience that I hadn't really thought to think about men. I think about people who I think are less centered in our society. Obviously, I think women are a bit that way. I obviously think of our non-binary and queer trans community as well. But I started to notice whenever I put the call out for episode topics or just what people were thinking about right now or whatever on social, I got tons and tons and tons of asks from men of all ages for things around men's mental health. And at first I was a bit, you're on your own. It wasn't that interesting to me, which I, I'm not saying is a cool way to think, you know, I'm, I'm not defending myself. I'm just being honest. I'm more telling on myself. I just was a bit, I don't know. And then I started to find more and more things that were really upsetting. And I don't hate men, you know, like I have a brother that I'm relatively close to. I have a lot of male friends. I generally date men. And I had to ask myself, why is it you're being so avoidant? And some of it was because it felt honestly sort of scary and overwhelming that when I started sort of looking into men, you know, men specifically, and I define men as, you know, tr trans men, cisgender men, anyone who was walking through this world and saying, I'm a man and being treated as such in our society. So I started seeing all these stats and things that were really scary about the rise of just death, to be honest, amongst men, whether it's accidental OD, it's completing suicide, big, big trigger warning on this episode, we will talk about some hard things. I just started to be like, wow. And obviously within the U.S., you know, we know that there's an issue with mass shootings. These have been, I can only think of one that I know of that was perpetrated by a woman. But, and every time we have a mass shooting in the U.S., it gets sort of chalked up to mental illness. And guess what? There are tons of mentally ill people roaming this earth right this second that are not killing people. So that doesn't really do it, you know? And I think part of my own hesitation and why I really hugely valued Dr. Josh, who is the guest today, having this conversation with me was... I think it's so obvious to me often when you hear politicians or people speaking about these things that you're like, this is a mental health issue. Like, and it's not 
enough to just chalk up mass shootings to mental health. Like it's, we don't just use it when it's convenient. You know what I mean? We don't just use it when we want to protect gun rights. Let's talk about it from a larger and more holistic standpoint. And as much as I kind of can get all my bullshit and be like, whatever the world is built for men, they can figure out their mental health. I don't really mean that, you know, like I'm definitely someone who wants to think more of the collective than I don't. I want us to help each other more than I don't. I want us to be looking out for our friends and loved ones and community and doing the things we can to make our society better. And it seems like the men need our help. I've been hearing more things from my own friends. I definitely think the pandemic has been hard on everybody. I think it was hard on men who, you know, maybe didn't know how to take care of their mental health or what their mental health needed. So this episode was really interesting, both on a, I don't know, practical level of I learned a lot. Dr. Josh is incredible. And it was good for me to think about my own biases and the way in which I'm being dismissive or maybe not holding space for both men in general and the men in my life in terms of what their unique struggles are. I learned a lot that made a lot of sense for me in my personal life. So Dr. Josh is the loveliest. We connected and very quickly I was like, oh, I want to talk to Josh about men's mental health. So he was willing to do so. Please enjoy episode 60, Men's Mental Health with Dr. Josh Mermelli. All right. I always do forget when I'm chatting with people that I'm like, oh, yeah, we're not recording. It's like both. It feels a bit like, you know, free swim. It's not recorded. Yes. And it's also like, oh, wait, don't say anything amazing. We're not recording right. yet. <laughs> it's so. like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there. Right. Kind of thing. Yes. So, so would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. So I am Dr. Josh Mermelli. I'm a licensed psychologist based out of Los Angeles, California. And I have a private practice in Beverly Hills where I specialize in working primarily with adults, older adolescents, couples, families, from, you know, everyday common colds, kind of anxiety, some depression, to all different ranges of trauma, um, infidelity, mistrust, betrayal. For whatever reason, I, I'm seeing more and more and working more and more with individuals who have pretty pervasive and profound trauma histories. And it's it's an honor to be in this work. And I think also really an indication that we've come so far as a society in terms of what we're willing to talk about and discuss openly or in the sphere of a therapist's office. It's, it's enormous how far we've come. And as I'm sure we'll talk about today, there's still a long ways to go. Yeah. It's nice to hear you say that because I get caught in that sometimes. And it's interesting. I was at a dinner party last night and we were talking about sort of the, we're, I, I was actually talking to a friend about their feelings around anti-Semitism and mm -hmm. we were talking about how can we be so dismissive about essentially intergenerational trauma yes. of, I was like, you know, I'm not Jewish, but I, my grandfather went to war. My dad went to Vietnam. I'm like, and they got no mental health care. Like, how can we 
act like mental health stuff is new when it is, it's like uh-huh. literally we've just been ignoring it. And it's astounding to me as well that I was reading about happy psychology, like essentially the study of some of the more happy stuff and happiness and joy and all of these things. Positive psychology, yes. Yeah, positive psychology. Thank you. And that wasn't really started from what I could understand from what I was reading until like 1996. Mm-hmm. Like some of this stuff is so new despite our problems as human beings have probably been going on forever, you know? Yes. And it's just kind of crazy to think of that. And it's baffling really. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely can get into my patriarchal feels and feel like I just want to worry about myself. I just want to worry about women. I want to champion women. And yet it feels like in terms of America, I can't really speak to other cultures, it feels like we are in crisis about how we are dealing with men's mental health yep. specifically. You you are absolutely right. I want to make one point to, to your comment on the recency of positive psychology, how it's only in the last, you know, 20 plus years where we're not regarding mental health and mental health treatment like it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest only. You know, <laughs> the, there's just not that only yeah. depiction because it's not that only experience. Um, it's I think it was in 1983 or 1984, which sounds like a really long time ago, but is actually quite recent, where the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders, took out homosexuality as a condition and diagnosis. So we're talking about 40 years, really, max. It's funny. I was going to say that's less than 40 years. Like, that's... It's unbelievable. That's wild. And imagine thinking homosexuality was like a mental illness. Like I just, I know one of my own blocks sometimes to being an ally is just how, how mind blowing I find that and and how much people care. (laughs) I think about sometimes those examples of like, you know, the baker who won't make the cake or whatever for a gay wedding. And I'm like, how does you like, bitch, get your money. Like, what do you care what people do? (laughs) What do you care who gets married? Like besides the, like, I, I'm just like, that's the hill you want to die on. Like it is, it is crazy to me, but I get frustrated because, you know, it was funny. I was like looking at my questions at first, I was writing out for you what I wanted. And it was essentially like, why is the conversation always like, you know, we need to help men, (laughs) you know, but it is a bit, but I'm like, Clearly, we do. And I wonder, mm-hmm. like, do you have any insight on what it is that it seems like men are resistant to getting help? You know, it seems mm-hmm. wrapped up in toxic masculinity. It seems like it has a very different cultural thing. I'm hearing more yes. and more of the men in my life are getting, yes. you know, whether they're going to therapy or they're seeking out books or whatever. But like, you know, a lot of female artists and things like make work that's like, you know, women are not emotional rehabilitation centers for men and st- like, right. and right. I think there's validity to that. But when we look at a lot of violence in the U.S., if we look at, you know, mass shootings and things like that, like, I'm not excusing it. I mean, they're they're horrific acts, but I do think they're directly related to mental health yes. and us either normalizing a lot of like male behavior and chalking it up to like boys will be boys or boys are violent or these sweeping things. And something I read recently was like, if you hear any mother talk about their young son, they often talk about like how sweet they are or whatever. Mm. And they're like, these men or these boys like aren't suddenly morphing. That sweetness isn't going somewhere. So 
in a society that I think has made it really hard for men to get the help they need. Yes. How is it we can help men get the, the help they need? Really astounding and, and terrific question. You know, I want to say, I think it's very interesting because obviously, look, mental health conditions don't discriminate and people mm-hmm. of all genders um, yes. experience and do experience a host of different mental health conditions. They might look differently in men. And I'll explain a little bit about what I mean there, but I want to just point out a staggering statistic. A 2019 study, a widespread study found that men die by suicide at a rate of almost four times greater than women. Now, look, this could be due to the fact that the means through which men attempt and, you know, complete suicides tend to be more lethal. They're more violent. They involve guns, Mm -hmm. they involve hangings, they involve, you know, sort of very dramatic and externalizing ways. But you know, women may attempt more often, but the rate of completed suicides is significantly elevated for men. And I don't know, actually, that women attempt all that more often. I'm curious about that statistic. But look, I I think part of the issue is that men are also victims in some ways of Mm -hmm. this of patriarchy. In other words, it's both it both works for them, quote unquote, in terms of, you know, salary and pay. And, you know, there's this disparagement that can certainly take place toward women within this like bravado culture of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And men themselves are held hostage from accessing emotional support, mental health treatment by virtue of these assumptions of not appearing weak, right? Not coming across in any way, shape or form as being flawed. And so there's a significant degree of additional layering that men tend to need to navigate through in order to feel comfortable acknowledging that there's a genuine mental health disturbance, there's an emotional issue coupled with some of the messaging that we receive in our childhoods, don't show emotion, always appear cool and calm, be strong, which interferes with receiving services to help offer support, you know, for mental health disturbances. So it, it, I think it begins with men experience and manifest symptoms of mental health disorders that are often unique from how women experience mental health symptomology, there's the internal messaging of what does this mean? How do I address it? Which can, of course, impact whether or not we pursue actual support and what that looks like. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what are some things? Because like, I truly don't know, never spent any time living as a man. But what are some signs or behaviors that would maybe because I think all of us have these questions, but I think of like, when do I need help? When is it not maybe a mood or just a passing feeling or a phase or something? When do I need professional help, you know, or resources right. support or something? I do think for women, it's, and I may, maybe it could be cultural as well, but I do think for women, like when I knew it was time for me to go into therapy, like I felt like I was I was able to talk about that with friends. Like I didn't feel, I didn't feel lost. I didn't mm. feel like I had no idea mm-hmm. where to begin. And I feel like I hear that a bit more with my male friends that yes. they don't really have a read on like, when is something, you know, like my brother and I laugh about, it. I'm like, mm, you know, like little bad and big bad, you know, when is something maybe like the big bad. And it's like, right. 
that's not gonna the, the big the greatest gift my own therapist ever gave me when I was like I don't know I think I could journal my my way out of this <laughs> is she was like you didn't Candle get here journal. alone right. yeah it's true I was like she's like listen it's all in how you want to use your time and your energy she's like you didn't get yes. here alone you can't get out of here alone and well that said. was liberating for me that she's yes. like these are not she's like if you had created all of these problems all of these things then maybe yeah you could get yourself out mm -hmm. but you didn't and I feel like I don't know if it's the cultural messaging about being like a provider protector some of that stuff I feel that men really soldier on sometimes yes really thinking like I can do it I can take care I can muscle through it and are there some things that they could be aware of a look out for of like when it's time to get help and yes. and what are maybe some things you cannot resolve alone well, those are great questions. I mean, I think part of what you're describing that takes place within the male psyche is maybe initially less this idea of I can get through this alone without help and more so a misinterpretation or a misalignment of the root of some distress. So mm. men average tend, you know, as a whole tend to manifest mental health issues through physical, physiological symptomology. Men who have anxiety tend to experience more somatic forms of anxiety manifestation. You know, mm -hmm. they'll go to their primary care physician. I get headaches. I can't sleep. I can't concentrate. My stomach hurts. I can't perform sexually. It's not that women don't experience, you know, physiological components to conditions like anxiety or major depression or PTSD. It's just that the priming is more to focus on the internal, the emotional, the interpersonal elements of how that distress manifests. So I think that men first are grappled with this struggle to pull the curtain back internally first, to really take a look at, is there a sort of psychological component to what I'm experiencing. And one way to know this is, has there been any recent significant changes in my life? Has the mm. intensity of some of my even physiological ailments really shifted in a very acute and significant way? You know, is my stomach now constantly hurting? Am I now not able to sleep even four hours a night? Those types of things. And the other is to really take a look at how resistant would I be to receiving mental health support if that were the recommendation, right? What are our mm. feelings about mental health, mental health treatment, emotional support? Would I feel comfortable talking with my buddies about this? And if the answer is no, chances are we're not only keeping ourselves from accessing that support, we're also preventing ourselves from looking at the emotional component to our issues, which may mean the summoning of that support. You know, if we don't acknowledge that as a, a resolution, we're probably not going to acknowledge the types of problems that would merit that type of intervention, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been interesting for me dating wise. I feel like in my thirties, I dated a lot of guys that like nothing bad had really happened to them until mm -hmm. their thirties. Mm -hmm. And it was tough for me as someone who's like had a lot of trauma in my life and it's not a contest. I would win, but it was like hard for Always. me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Like to empathize or com be compassionate sometimes, but it was also fascinating how many of them like 
had no skills Mm -hmm. that there just wasn't, there weren't really coping skills. There wasn't really resilience. There wasn't self-soothing that some of this stuff. And I mean, I feel for anybody, you know, like, are you lucky if you get to adulthood without like any major trauma? Like, yes, of course. I love that for you. I hope we see more and more of that in our future. But it also is sort of heartbreaking when someone is, is like, I'm completely unprepared for this, you know? Right. And I don't know if it's social conditioning that like women are maybe primed a little bit more for that. Like it's a little more. And I do think it's tough. It's tough to know sometimes that you need to learn things. Like you Mm -hmm. often find out like at the least convenient time, you know? And are there ways that men could be cultivating some of this stuff outside of crisis moments. Yes. It was interesting even researching for this episode. And it was like two of the big, biggest things that really affect men that they see the biggest like fallout m- mental health wise was divorce and losing their job, which right. are external circumstances, right? Yes, 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 yes. External. And I was like, that's amazing because I feel like in the context of like adulthood, those are things that ideally we're prepared to navigate. Like ideally we're operating in a world where we know that's on the table. If you marry, you know, it could potentially end, you know, if you Mm. have a job, you know, you could potentially be fired. And it was really crazy to me, some of these stats and how much, and I'm like, it just made me feel really bad for men and that are they operating at this place of the stakes are so high all the time and like then not having the skills to know how to take care of yourself if that stuff gets threatened? I think it's both. I think that we're as men not really taught to learn. We we have no exposure to the nuances of emotion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one thing I will always joke with my male patients is like fine is not an option when I ask how you're doing because, <laughs> you know, I firstly, to me, fine, F-I-N-E, the acronym is fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's what fine means to me, <laughs> right? But, but in any event, because there's not really a range, you know, men on average tend to suppress positive emotions too. We can't selectively numb emotions mm. as Brene Brown says. So if we're yeah. numbing the shitty, we're also numbing, you know, the stuff that's good too. So in general, I think men can really benefit from being exposed to the value of emotional nuance, understanding quite literally the varying types of emotions. I will give probably most of my patients, you know, like if you survey them, most would say I give them this, a very simple handout of like the 30 most basic emotions. I got that my first day of therapy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, And look, the thing is, is that it's like, I think I once showed it to my husband. He's because I was like printing it, and he's like, "What? It, what is that?" And I was like, "Oh, these are some examples of thirty of the most common emotions that people experience." And he's like, "Wait, let thirty? And I said, "Yeah, there, then there's more, but these are thirty. And it was like he was discovering, like I was showing him, you know, this like alcove of a cave in like yeah. northern France. Like, oh my god, I didn't know that. And, and that's the truth. The, this yeah. there's not a lot of exposure to understanding even the mechanics of various emotions, let alone how to experience that sensation, what it means, and how what to do with that emotion, in other words, right? Yeah. Because like 20 of those 30 emotions will be metabolized by many men in the form of anger, 
right? Anger is like the, mm-hmm. you know, it absorbs, it's the vacuum for a lot of emotions. But beneath the anger may be layers of fear, shame, self-doubt. So I think just to answer your question, having a better understanding, articulating the differing types of emotions, emotional experiences. And men, I think, really do well in terms of peer groups, that being the first introduction point to a lot of these topics. So I think even in terms of our media, our marketing, our approach to mental health issues, we really have to work on representing men more as the consumer. You know, if you look at a commercial for an antidepressant or a myriad of psych meds, rarely are men the primary patients in the commercial, so to speak. You know, it's always the man supporting the wife in distress. And when there are men depicted in commercials for medications, the medication is typically for a somatic physical ailment. So I think we've kind of reinforced what we also resist, which is this very toxic masculinity, this refusal to look at the subsurface um, across the board, which involve feelings, which involve emotional experiences, which involve not knowing And I think we can do a better job as mental health providers, as those who are in the realm of mental health support and care advocates, you know, really introducing for men specifically behavioral health emotions and really marketing and inviting to them ways in which to come to the table of emotional support. Yeah, I really like that. And I that's interesting about the peer group because my brother and I were talking about, I think in the context of like the Me Too movement and stuff, and I was like, women are tired. We're so tired yes. of yelling about this stuff. We're so tired of like naming stats. We're so tired of, I was like, I don't know any women who don't have a fucked up story. Like, you know, right. I was like, we're worn out. And I was like, what about you? What are the conversations mm-hmm. you're having with your friends? Like, how are you holding your friends accountable? And he was like, yeah, that's something I've tried to be more aware of. And I think that that's a big thing. I think you just said behavioral health, you know, that I don't know about you, but I've worked in some pretty fucking toxic environments yes. where like, especially men's tempers were like really allowed or like mm-hmm. men could have these like, you know, opinions sort of like bonkers reactions to things. And it was so normalized that, you know, and I'm like, of course the women, there, there would be this sort of cycle where the women are like, you can't be like that. And they would go like, I know, blah, 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 blah. And then it just repeated. Right. And I would think what would change if the men called them out? You know, if the men were like, you really can't uncork like that, dude. This is something I think about in terms of dismantling, you know, the patriarchy that it's like, it's not going to happen just with women. Mm -hmm. It's not just going to happen with women, the queer community or non-binary friends. Like men will have to be involved. It must come from within. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like Esther Perel recently was talking like, you know, we saw this stuff about like, act like a man, be like a man, think like a man. She's like, if we have to talk so much about being like a man, that seems hard then, then we don't know what it is to be a man. If we're like constantly shouting that. And I do think we're in this weird moment where the way that men have moved through the world, like is really changing. And yet 
we're sort of, what's that saying, you know, like we're building the plane and flying it at the same time, a bit of like men's role in society has changed. We we're not really addressing it, Mm -hmm. you know, but I do think there's something about men need to look after other men. And I don't know that men are socialized or conditioned. It's like, I see it in some ways, like with my brother and friends and stuff of like, there's a tremendous amount of loyalty and, and support, but there also seems to be a lot of turning an eye, you know, and like yes. not, do men need to be more accountable and take better care of, mm-hmm. of, of their friends and loved ones in that way too? Yes. I think there's been a absolute need for some, I would say overdue me too movement. I mean, there, that's unquestionable. And I think there are other ways in which men's behaviors that can be angry, aggressive, suppressive, abusive, controlling, overpowering, that um, are not as sort of outwardly confrontational. That's tremendously important. And I also think men need the support skills. We need to be taught differently. The Me Too movement won't ultimately, quote unquote, resolve or fix the issue if schools are still sort of segregating, you know, sports teams based on gender, if men are not sort of called on in the same way that women are with learning how, you know, home economics classes, by the way, I never had one of those classes, so I don't even know how I'm figuring (laughs) it out. But, But, you know, there's got to be a more equal sense of access, really, to different understandings of roles, different understandings of what it looks like to have a meaningful, effective conversation. And in some ways, I think even like the study of the humanities is still regarded as like a softer, but basically it's like, you know, it's regarded as for women, for queer people, for, you know, like marginalized populations while men go and make the money at the office and business school or they go to law school or whatever. There's, there's still a lack of that. So I think it's like, yes, we need to address the caustic, destructive, violating ways in which men's refusal to take accountability involves the oppression of other members of our population and world. And I also think it's, difficult because men often don't know those skills. This is a survival mechanism, you know, tough up, fight back, never, you know, never back down. When someone fights you, you fight them harder, you know, never cower in the face of a bully. I mean, these are messages that we receive and Mm -hmm. it's really critical that we really support men in a different way, not just in the form of accountability holding, which can feel sometimes a bit shaming or it not even shaming. It's just like, yes, that's true. And how can men operate differently? And what's a way of inviting to the table opportunities for men to really learn nuanced skills to contain their own emotions, to not normalize, you know, passion and anger. They're not the same. Right. Yeah. What do you, like, do you feel, since you see such a broad spectrum of, of mm-hmm. people, and I feel like you probably see some baby men, some grown men, mm-hmm. you know, 
because I know obviously <laughs> it's illegal for you to say too much thanks mm-hmm. to, to HIPAA, but like, have you noticed trends or things shifting? I feel like I'm seeing some shifts, but I'm not sure. I feel like a couple years ago, and especially when Trump was elected, I mm. felt like a lot of my guy friends who think of themselves as good guys, mm-hmm. and not to say that they're not, mm-hmm. were really, really, really defensive. And mm-hmm. really, like, to what you were saying, like, I think the accountability and women being like, I have experienced this, and I have, you know, I think they felt really defensive and kind of like, well, like, we don't know, you know, mm-hmm. or like, well, it wasn't me. Like, mm-hmm. it seemed to activate a very young part in, yes. in a lot of men, you know, right. like most of these men that I'm talking about are at least in their 30s, you know, mm-hmm. like I would say mid 30s to mid 40s that were having this very. And I was like, it's so interesting that all these dudes who are very different are having this like it's clearly tapping into some very young part of them. Yes, yes. But I, I feel like, you know, Generation Z is so different. Mm-hmm. I feel like even when I'm hearing older generations that they're sort of learning from, I don't know, their TikTok, like grandchildren or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, are the conversations changing? Are you, you know, if someone's coming in for family therapy, like are the dynamics changing or are things changing? I think they are. I'm in a unique space in the sense that most people the act of coming to therapy, making a decision to mm-hmm. engage in psychotherapeutic work. And I tell people all the time, what you see is what you get. In terms of how I am in the room, I'm very much myself. And by that, I mean individuals who kind of hold this very toxic masculinity and are unwilling to remedy, resolve that, and who are unwilling to forfeit the defending of that tend to not either make their way through my office or, or will decide to work with a different therapist because yeah. that level of accountability is really required of them. I think men behind closed doors are much more vulnerable and open. And I think in some ways being an openly gay psychologist, man, mm-hmm. person, works advantageously as it relates to, you know, specifically working with heterosexual men, because I'm regarded in some ways as less of a threat. You know, the sort of quote unquote bro code of how things ought to operate. I've fucking, you know, broken that. I've, 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 you know, deviated from that model. So there, you know, so there's a, there's a, I rescinded my membership. Yeah. I'm like, so about that, my dues are a little exposed. But I think they feel a sense of like safety and comfort. And there's this idea because most heterosexual men who are experiencing distress really need and want somebody to talk to once you can kind of get them in the room. I mean, truly. And I think the, the conversation's changing, the tone's changing. Men are more aware they're more willing to talk about, especially after COVID. I think it really escalated everything. But they're still like, I'll talk about it in here, but I'm not ready to go out to the world and kind of announce that I'm working on myself or that these are issues that I grapple with. So it's it's coming. It's a slower process, but meaningful change involves time. Yeah, it's true. It's never going to happen as quickly as we'd all like it, you know, and and I I think I'm okay with that or I'm coming around to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, 
it, it, progress is progress as long as something's happening. I'm like, I don't yes. care, you know. What is the appeal of toxic masculinity, in your opinion? Does it provide a bit of um, a shield? Because when I think about it, as yeah. much as I hate it, and as much as I'm like, fuck any dude who participates in that, if I'm really honest about it, I feel sorry for all of them. You know, mm -hmm. I think like how most of those men, even if they are enjoying some spoils, even if they are making a lot of money or whatever, I think they must be really scared, lonely and yes. sad inside. Yes. You know, like I just don't see yes. how there's any other way, you know, or so much right. of your energy must go to suppressing your feelings. Right. How do you have space for anything else like joy or creativity, like all these things that I really that make my life worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So what is the appeal? Is it like a false sense of power? I think it's maybe less so an appeal and more so um <laughs> that it's a script and maybe by virtue of the fact that uh. it's a script and template that is appealing because men seem to lack a real, you know, code, if you will, for engagement. I think we're really working on shifting gender roles, but we haven't really, sh in terms of, you know, who's going to the office, who's staying home with the kids, but we haven't yeah. really shifted. We haven't caught up yet to the emotional elements either. Who has the final yeah. say? You know, who makes the decisions? Who, quote unquote, wears the pants in the relationship? How many times have we heard that? I mean, yeah. give me a break. <laughs> and like, really? And so one of the things that I think toxic masculinity does and why men are so adherent to patterns of behavior that we would regard as being toxically masculine is because it's just a framework that feels familiar. And we tend to not seek things that are in our best interest or even things that we like. As a human species, we tend to move toward things that we recognize as being sort of old scripts and familiar. It's why we find ourselves in relationships that no matter how many times we promised ourselves we would never end up, look a lot like our parents' relationship, you know, yeah. dysfunction junction and all. So <laughs> I think it's about what's familiar. And I think most men who engage in these sort of heteronormative, toxic, masculine behaviors are themselves kind of victims of that system and are seeking to break out. Yeah. I mean, part of why I wanted to focus on men's mental health is just like one, I've gotten so many DMs about it, yes. which at first I was a little like y'all are on your own, which is like where my work needs to be done. And then I got a little bit freaked out about like call out culture about doing something specifically gendered. But it, I think I just want to be clear to, and you know, to people listening is part of why I'm saying men's and I include trans men in this is that it, to me, it's less about biology and gender. And it's more about how society is regarding you. Yes. That a lot of this I think is, is, is cultural. It's societal, yes. it's conditioning, not necessarily maybe like what, is going on, you know, like your body or your brain right. or, or whatever. But I was curious if you think there are things that you had spoken about it a little bit earlier, but like what you think men maybe uniquely grapple with that maybe women or just, you know, women, people or non-binary friends can maybe have some compassion for. Yes. Well, I, I think it's this idea of needing to figure it all out 
And mm. one of the dynamics that's typically involves not just stereotype, but generally we see with individuals who are identifying as queer, some somewhere on the spectrum, non-binary, you know, certainly individuals who have, you know, grappled with gender identity for some time is a real genuine sort of struggle because of societal expectations, cultural quote unquote norms, and therefore the summoning of real support, real conversations, real outlets and connection to other like-minded people, hopefully, to help anchor them to get through that. So for most people, by the time that they identify and feel open identifying as queer, non-binary, there's been a series of conversations, both with self and others, as to this is who I am. I'm okay with who I am. I, I want to be okay with who I am. I can't change this. And therefore, I ought to receive the right support and be in the right community to make peace and to mm. live a full life. I think men feel, you know, heterosexual men, notoriously and stereotypically, this pressure to contain, to figure it all out themselves, not because they feel they've, quote unquote, got it, but because it's not been presented as an option to express weakness or yeah. to express deficiency in some area. That's not something that's been modeled for many of us. And so I think there's a lot of internalizing of um, figuring it out within ourselves. And there's a lot of externalizing of our symptoms for men. So, you know, depression may look different you know, again, stereotypically in a man than a woman. For a man, it may involve a, you know, sort of lack of interest, a lack of sexual desire, a withdrawal from engaging in social activities. For women, it may present in the form of, you know, more crying spells, hopelessness, just a loss of interest across the board, shutting down. But for men, I think we really need to start recognizing that, symptoms may look a little bit different. Like depression is not depression across genders, across cultures. So I think the warning signs, the sort of symptoms that we even think of with mental health conditions are veered toward maybe how women more generally will yeah. present that condition or set of symptoms. So men are oftentimes, I think, even confused and, oh, that's not me. I'm having this, 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 and this, right? Mm. The presentation's different and also the ability to say, oh, this is what that is, and therefore I am experiencing this condition, there's just not as much of a sort of mirroring in terms of what the media and even the mental health profession is sort of dictating, you know, that, that can be related for men. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I also think that pressure to, to figure it all out is something that I've heard from a lot of the men in my life mm -hmm. and a lot of male clients as well will come to me. And it's essentially this, like, how do I figure it all out? Like, how do I take care of all of it or whatever? Right. And I hadn't thought about how often that's what it's essentially distilling mm -hmm. down into. And there's a lot of ways that someone can kind of be saying that. Right. And I think sometimes I, with my brother, I get exasperated, but often, cause I'm like, you're still being a baby and I don't want to take care of you, you know, right. but really what it is, is he's reaching out to me cause 
he knows I'm a safe person to open up that, widen up that crack mm. in the, like, I don't have to take care of it all. I don't have to do it all. And I have to, you know, go like two things can be true at once. <laughs> like he can need help and support and it can annoy the shit out of you sometimes. Absolutely. Like both of these things can be true, but I hadn't thought about because of the way things manifest differently because of the different pressures that are put on people that obviously the way that they're broadcasting sometimes that they need help is is different correct and i think most of my female friends know how to ask for help but maybe come more from the place of like they don't know if they'll get it or they don't know right. if you know but they i think are less afraid to ask for it whereas i think this idea of that men think they have to do it all fix it all figure it all out becomes like such a prison because it's like they don't even know how to ask for help like they're not even it's not even like they're bumping up against their fear of disappointment it's like they don't even know how to articulate it you know which i hadn't even thought about which is interesting well as we start to sort of um wind our conversation down even though this is this is fascinating and i'm impressed because i just want to say i did not give dr josh the questions ahead of time and so i am so impressed at like well, you. you know how like thoughtful and deep these answers are but is there anything you know i just wanted to give you the space to talk about is there anything to you that is really important that you think i don't want to say like final thoughts but is there anything that you wanted to really offer or say that we hadn't touched on yet today that you know, you feel really strongly about in terms of what the men's is be needing out there in yes. the world. Well, again, I want to really just say thank you so much for having me on. This is such a relevant and important topic and the manner in which we're talking about it, though this is kind of like a pop cultural buzz, the entry point for our conversation is more along the lines of what I think these discussions need to involve. You know, how do we gain access to and really empower men who are struggling deeply to feel safe in being able to walk the line of getting the right levels of support? And not even mental health professional support, just support in terms of, you know, the community, partners, friends, workplace environments. So I feel very hopeful and I think we're at a very unique juncture in terms of how mental health is being regarded and specifically mental health for men is being regarded because we're really moving significantly from a generational emphasis on scripted, stereotyped gender roles. And I think that this presents a very unique opportunity for men to really reclaim and develop parts of themselves that have really been neglected or untaught for many years, how to get in touch with feelings. So I think that that's really fabulous. One thing I want to just also say is I tend to get most of my referrals by female patients tend to come from either other female patients or from, you know, word of mouth or from psychiatrists who will refer to me. Most of my male patients tend to come from their primary care physician who refer them to me. So I think it's just in terms of creating more knowledge and awareness for people about how symptom expression for men can be quite different. And not always, but typically there's an emphasis on somatic concern. So I think the medical profession is really undergoing their own degree of shift in terms of what to scan for and look for. But, you know, more than anything, I really just want to say having conversations 
being open about really introducing new language for men who are struggling with dot, 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 and not just engaging in this sort of, I don't want to say politicized, but this public kind of rebuking of heteronormative behaviors and understandable shaming and resistance toward toxic masculinity, but also creating more of an invitation as you are to really connect with that part of the male psyche that I think has really been neglected and suppressed. That's where I think we're really going to see a shift. You know, it's the more empowering and invitational way. I mean, always, you know, yes. it's like we, for whatever reason, we can't seem to learn it as human beings that shaming doesn't work. Right. Anything gained by it, I think is very temporary, that the only way we make long lasting change is kindness and compassion, which is annoying. Yes. I get it. We don't, yeah. I don't always want to be in that space either. I know I like, have to be kind, kind. <laughs> but I like Ugh. that you brought up this, the, the somatic, because besides the fact that suicide is at like just staggering rates mm. for men right now. So was overdose and uh, an addiction and especially during the pandemic has just exploded and the leading cause of death for men between the ages of 35 and 55 is accidental overdose and some of that is because you know people are putting fentanyl and everything but a lot of I think the reason this I mean this is me literally just speculating I have nothing to back this up but I do think men generally have more pain because like often they're more physical they've played sports or whatever not to say that women don't but I'm just saying I think it's much more common that a man can go to a doctor and say my back hurts and get an opioid than necessarily a woman you know and then I wonder is some of that psychological you know like is this another form in a way of the mental health crisis that I think men are in that are the addiction rates in this as high as they are because men want to escape they're not getting help or is it also they're being misdiagnosed I, that i yes. when i had seen some of these stats i was just like holy shit like mm. how are we not talking about this like it's yes. i mean it's just really shocking when you see some of the numbers and i don't want to like freak people out but i more want to say this because i think the attitude in the u.s is so prone to normalization and i just want to be like we shouldn't look away if you know like we we do need to show up and figure out ways to invite men to the table to take care of themselves and get the support they need and so i thought what you said in terms of like needing the support to anchor them is really interesting and i wonder if that's why sometimes i think my gay friends are able to do that because they they sort of know they're no they know they're going a bit down a road like i need support i need to find community i need to find this and with straight men i I don't think they have the same thing there isn't the same template so if you fit outside sort of bro culture you fit outside toxic masculinity some of these things where are you finding that support where are you finding that anchor and i don't know that the answer is necessarily women you know i think that women are saying we we would like to retire from that but Mm -hmm. how can we shift it so that women can maybe be more you know inviting men to the table but then men are also taking the invitation further do you think for any man who's like i suspect i'm depressed or i suspect something's up do you think a good place to start is with their primary physician saying you know do you have any recommendations if they feel a lot of shame about asking friends like where's the place to start 
I, I think you you kind of nailed it. I would I think men tend to feel more comfortable talking about concerns in the sphere of a somatic physician's office, you know, a, a medical doctor who's not a psychiatrist. I also think it really falls on the provider to understand the nuances. And ideally, you know, male providers are as keen on this as female um, practitioners mm-hmm. to be able to recognize wow, I recognize you talking about an enormity of physical pain. The symptoms are really acute and sudden. You also mentioned that you just moved. You also mentioned that you just had a baby. Let's talk a little bit about that. Because emotional psychological pain does impact genuine physiological pain. Yeah. It's not just a, you know, a, a you know, sort of costume. So I think a great place to start is in the realm of one somatic physician and also taking some emboldened kind of healthy risks, safe risks, I call them, in terms of speaking with one entrusted male friend about some of these difficulties. You know, putting a name to it, taking a leap forward, saying, I feel shitty, I feel sad, I feel scared. This is language that really needs to reverberate, you know, in kind of locker room bro talk, because I think there's just no script for it. And it's time that we start introducing a more holistic, wholesome and multifaceted range of the human experience for men, too. Yeah, everyone deserves it. Everyone needs it. Yes. I feel grateful as a woman that it has been made more normal and accessible to me. And I think I want I want everyone to have that yes I thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today where can people find you thank you again for having me on the best place to find me is on my website which is therapy with dr josh.com d-r-j-o-s-h the other is on my social media channel through instagram which is also at therapy with dr josh I can't thank you enough for the amazing work that you do. And I love your ability to really invite in, in a novel way, relevant mental health themes. You have a platform and an audience that I think is really unique to be exposed to this type of material. And I'm so proud of you, really, for doing this work in the way that you do. It's an honor to be speaking with you and really just having this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that's so kind. I appreciate it. Well, that's all for today. I don't know how I could possibly top that very kind and genuine, sincere wrap up there, but thank you. And I'll have to think of, you know, a million more topics to have you back on. I would love that. (laughs) That's all for today. Thanks everybody. Bye. hope that was helpful. I'll be curious. Did you learn? Did you learn something you didn't know before? I definitely did recording this episode. So men, let us know. Was this helpful? I hope it was helpful for all the people who've asked for a mental health episode. Did anyone learn something new? I definitely did. If you did, as per usual, let me know. Until next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. <laughs>